In games three and four of the ALDS matchup between the Minnesota Twins, I was reminded of what freezing weather does to cars, how it takes them forever to get going, that is, assuming they do at all, which my beloved Twins didn't. That's not to say the cold weather at Target Field was to blame, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was a factor. One sport where the cold absolutely belongs, though, is hockey, and the NHL regular season's finally upon us, and we can give our extremely premature early season analyses of a sport which is far from being predictable based off one or two games. Nonetheless, you're going to hear our misguided predictions so that you can partake in the most competitive sport known to man. Who can be the most ruthless on Twitter in response to our bad takes? They better be good ones, because I'll be waiting for every single one of you keyboard warriors to let the comedy fly. I'm Matt Menson, and welcome to the Cornfield Sports Pod. Guest hosting today for Blake, we have Vinny Cataldo. Welcome to the Cornfield Sports Pod, Vinny. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And before we get to the ALDS or the NHL, I do want to get into Cyclone football first, as usual. Uh, We played TCU last week, and initially it looks like it was the most complete game so far this season in the 27-14 win. looked like... Defense showed up and offense showed up for once. Which is a really surprising factor considering this season so far that we've been having. Yeah, first couple weeks we had no offense whatsoever. The last couple weeks we'd had no defense whatsoever. And now here we are against TCU where one of their scores didn't come until garbage time. And it was effectively before garbage time 27-7. to Um, So it was a relatively complete game. There's still some stuff that we need to work on, but our ground attack was really effective, actually. Team average, 5.8 yards a carry. That's really solid. Two touchdowns, 215 total yards. It's not often you see 200 yards (laughs) eclipsed. Definitely not. It's, it's, It's rare for an NFL team. It's, it's pretty, like, it's not common, but to see it in college football is a little bit more, like, it's something you want to like. You look at a lot closer. It's something that happens a little bit more often, but there's also more competitive disparity. Oh yeah, definitely. So to see it in a conference game is something that's very reassuring to see from Iowa State, especially with how much our running game has struggled early in the year. Abu Sama had 9.8 yards of carry. Now don't be deceived by this because he had only six total yards, or sorry, six total rushes, and one of them was a 55-yard touchdown run. And so if you take that off, then it's only five total rushes, and that's not anywhere near as much. And then comparing that for the six total rushes and, like, about 10 yards of carry, he's looking at about 60 yards, which it's interesting, but then you got to factor in the 55. So he's looking at about 100 yards, maybe. Yeah, because, he well, 9.8 yards of carry at six total rushes, that's close to 60 yards total on the game. Right. But a 55 of that is coming off of one gain. Right, it's like it's, you're hitting. You're, you want He wants to hit more. I feel like than he than he's getting. His every, batting average is slow, but his slugging percentage is high. Yes, that's that's the way to put it. I bet. Our run blocking looked a lot more aggressive. Now some of that could be a lack of physicality by TCU's front as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, because this is the first time that our run blocking has looked good all season, and I saw nothing impressive out of TCU's line. Nothing. Nothing at all. I didn't see anything impressive by TCU in the trenches on either side. So their strength and conditioning maybe took a hit after losing some of the experience that they lost last year. Our passing game lost ground while our running game gained ground. 
Rocco, 16 for 28, uh, 138 yards, one tutty. At least he's still not getting sacked. That's that's and that's good for a quarterback, and that just shows that shows good offensive blocking. Yes, it is. And where we've been lacking in the run block the entire season, we've been very successful in the pass block. Iowa State leads the Big Twelve in sacks allowed. I believe we're currently only at three sacks allowed on the entire year which is the best in the Big 12. Iowa could stand to learn something from our offensive line. That might be the first time anyone's ever said that and it's been true, but actually, yeah, they uh, they could stand to learn something. Brian, uh, Brian Ferentz could learn something about adjustment from us because Schielhaus kind of figured out adjustment, how to know when to pass the ball and when to run the ball after that Ohio game. Things improved drastically on the offensive side of the ball, and I think that brightens our outlook for the entire year when it had begun to look pretty gloomy. Brian Ferentz just needs to learn football and how to like run an offense. Yeah, he does. So far, nobody has been impressed. No, nobody. Week one, Dabo Swinney was comparing how bad Clemson's offense played in that game to Brian Ferentz's offenses at Iowa. Literally. Brian Ferentz is an insult to the college football world. At least according to Dabo Swinney. According to most people. I mean, it's not every day, though, that a coach at another school will actually use another school's coach as an insult. Unless your name is Jimbo Fisher, in which case that's just common practice. And that's so common that that doesn't even make the news anymore. Defense. Defense. We bent a lot. We bent a lot, but we didn't break. We didn't break. That's that's the key thing that we're going to look at. It's key. It'll win you games every now and then, but it's not a good strategy going forward because it's not going to win you every game. We did allow nearly 400 yards of total offense, almost 200 yards on the ground as well, which is still a miss. Yeah, we only allowed seven points before garbage time and then another seven in garbage time, but we can't be allowing that many yards because the only reason TCU wasn't scoring as much as they were was the turnovers. They threw four interceptions. Yeah. uh, Two of which were by Bo Freeler. He had himself a day. Um, But missed tackles, watching that game, and you you see that. You learn learn about a team with the eye test. You can begin to understand a team from the box score, but it's the eye test, and missed tackles have just been the story of the Iowa State defense this entire season. It's the biggest thing that we look at is just missed tackles. That's just one thing I feel like they need to start working on in practice. You need to, you have to know where to tackle them to get them down. And I just feel like it's a lot of like, I'm tired of watching shoe, uh, shoestring tackles. Oh, absolutely. I'm tired of watching them. Grab them around the waist and drive them backward. It's not. I mean, that's that's the fundamentals. That's what they're supposed to be teaching you, and that's what we're not doing. Oh, right, absolutely. Um, and. TCU backup, Josh Hoover was sacked twice. We didn't get their starter at all. I can't even remember his name right now because he basically didn't play all that much of that game because of an injury. Hopefully he gets better soon. It's like, um, it's like Dowling versus Valley, like three plays in, Dowling injured the starting quarterback for Valley. Like it was – it's like that quick and he's gone. Yeah, the – the the high school football references that everybody in the state <laughs> actually gets because of because uh, literally high school football is like one of the biggest thing Iowa is known for just 
like especially Dowling winning eight almost I think it was like it was a seven in a row or eight in a row it was something like that but like that's pretty much what and when people think of high school football the first thing that comes to mind is Dowling Catholic High School it's Dowling Catholic or uh well it used to be Don Bosco because they're eight man dynasty oh, but that's yeah. over now so um long over anyway Cincinnati preview they have offensive fireworks but not scoring fireworks that's something that's going to be an issue for them it is the most bizarre stat line you will ever see. They have scored 33 points on the entire year so far, and yet they're averaging almost 500 yards a game. That is really insane to think about because it's like when you average that much a game, you expect that most of that is going to be coming into the is going into the end zone. You would think, but they shoot themselves in the foot with penalties a lot. Oh yeah, and turnovers, while not being their biggest problem ever. Are they they do exist for Cincinnati, and yes, scoring is a struggle. They tend to stall out in the red zone, and then kick field goals, which sometimes go in. That happens. It 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 happens, and that's the story of Cincinnati so far this year because they're averaging yards per game comparable to teams like USC and Oregon and Washington and some of the high flyers on the coast. And the points just don't match up. Again, 33 points on the season, not per game, on the season total. And they've been what? Like, it, we're coming up on like six games? Yeah, we. that That's through six games. That's through six games? That's through six. 30. They're averaging like. F- that's literally almost like six points a game. No, correction. That's through five games. They've had a bye week. Oh, okay. That's still really, really bad. Yeah. But. I would expect something similar to what they've been doing all year because they've been consistently doing that. Yeah. I don't know how you do that consistently, but if they break through and they finally start scoring touchdowns, especially the way our defense has played the last two weeks, don't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that much, to be honest. I The way that Sheila Haas has our offense humming now and the way Cincinnati plays offense, if they get a breakthrough this game – could be a shootout. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. And, well, it'll be a lot of fun to watch for the people that are on TV because Cincinnati can't even fill Nippert Stadium and it only holds 40,000 people. Wow. But it'll be fun to watch for the people that actually tune in on TV. Uh, score prediction? Well, you know, if Iowa State can continue with their offense um, and Abu Sama uh, continues to, if he can up his yardage and total rushes per game he could be a really key factor and if Beck keeps uh, continuing to you know throw those touchdowns get those uh get those uh reads off he could be thrown pretty well so I think um realistically I could probably see Iowa State could win probably maybe like maybe like 27 to 10 maybe that's my prediction 27 10 over Cincy I think that with the flaws that have been exposed in Iowa State's defense recently, Cincinnati's going to get into the end zone a little bit more easily than they have so far the rest of the year. That's true. But I am expecting an absolute shootout in this one. I'm going to take Iowa State 42, Cincinnati 38. Wow, it's going to be that close of a game, you think? Mm-hmm. I think that this is going to be a very distinct lack of defense and that this is going to remind Big 12 watchers of the Big 12 of old before Matt Campbell came along and 
reminded Big 12 coaches that defense does in fact exist. That's that's one of the things that I forgot to mention is like you want to, like the defense the fact that they they're they're bending, not breaking though, but they're bending has not kind of proven it. And then the biggest thing, make those tackles. Now, I think this game is going to right. be reminiscent of the old games that we would see between uh, like TCU and Baylor when their quarterbacks were Trevon Boykin and RG3. Oh, God, yeah. Remember those games? When the defense was the least talented group of people you've ever seen and like comparable to Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> but the offense was just absolutely nuts. Only the difference this time is it's just going to be because the defenses are allowing that much and the offenses are pretty good. Now, how much do you think – how much of those points do you think – are going to come from Iowa State's defense. I'm not sure about defense, but uh, I think that it stands to reason that there might be a pick six or a return fumble at some point in the game. But what I would really be expecting, because we haven't seen it yet, and I'm sure that with having a new special teams coordinator, there's some tricks up the bag, uh, kick return or a punt return touchdown from Iowa State Absolutely. at some point. Yep. Pro- probably likely early on in the game. All right, I want to move on to volleyball real quick. Uh, we did retain our number five ranking in the coaches' poll. This time we're not sharing it, though. We hold it standalone. Uh, last week we shared it with Auburn. This time we are the standalone number 25 ranking. And after the game against Kansas State last night, or two nights ago, sorry, we are likely to lose that ranking. We're probably going to enter next week unranked. Because that was a game that was just absolutely marred by Iowa State errors. That was the one and only definition of that game. I don't know any other way to describe it. Uh, set one, eight errors. Set two, nine errors. Set three, six errors. Jeez. You, you add all that up, that's basically an entire set for K-State. Yeah, literally. That's, that's really, really bad. Um, and we only hit at a rate of 110, which I'm not sure I've ever seen a team win a game hitting that low. Mm. I'm not sure it can be done. It's probably, I mean, it's probably possible, but it, they have to be, like, other team has to be just. Maybe some, yeah. like, AAU middle school club thing has done it. <laughs> that low? <laughs> probably. Actually, no, probably not, because if they're hitting that low, it probably means the other team's hitting over 500, so never mind. Yeah. Um, K-State hit uh, 248, which is relatively normal uh but they had 15 kills in set three our defense seemingly gave up yeah that from from the sound of it yeah it just sounds like we just kind of were like yeah but iowa state if you look at every team metric was defeated points k-state had 52 we had 44 kills k-state had 38 we had 36 that's a little bit tighter that's more margin of error yeah but again you need to be winning in the margins uh, aces, Kansas State had six, we had two, and we also gave Kansas State another seven points on service errors while only getting three in return off of service errors, which makes a service point differential of eight in favor of Kansas State. Wow. Which I can't think off the top of my head a higher service point differential in a three-set game. I just can't – actually, I can't think of one any game at all because usually in a longer game they tend to be pretty tight in the margins. Uh, blocks, Kansas State had eight. We had only six. Assists, this one's in the – this one's a margin one too, but they had 32 assists. We only had 31. 
and then digs they had 53 we had 48 there is no category where we had a definitive win in this game not there is one. nothing that went right just it was it's one of those things of like you got to look at these numbers and kind of think like what are we doing wrong like right. what like what can we what can we improve on and how did we create that like tight margin like what are we doing right there but what can we also improve on that's going to get us past the margin and make us the more dominant right and that's that's one of those things where i think part of that's our team is really young right now our team is majority sophomores well yeah we're, we're young we got like they, they, they got plenty of time to kind of fix it but with how close the season is going you want to make sure that they are working at it so that like when it gets to the point where they're all seniors they can start training the lower class in order to right. kind of speaking like, of which we're going to probably need a fairly large recruiting class within the next couple of years. Definitely. We did have four players with negative attack rates. Um, it's too many. I don't have it in my notes which four it was exactly. I did remember one of them, though, uh, was Nayeli Gonzalez. And she, the last two weeks, had been an absolute star for the Cyclones. She earned Big 12 uh, freshman of the week twice in a row. And uh, the way she played this last game against Kansas State, there's absolutely no chance that she will win it this week. It's not possible. Negative hitting percentage, zero kills. Wow, that is – that's just – that's it's so crazy to say, this to say too, because, like, you don't ever hear those numbers. Most that's, of that's not even opposite sides of the same coin. That's, like, North Pole, South Pole difference. It's oh, yeah. Apart. BYU is not going to be an easy team to beat. No. Now, coming off this kind of a loss – you tend to shape up a bit. So I would not be shocked if we gave BYU one heck of a game after something like that. Um, well, seeing as how we it's a double header, we got to work a little bit harder for that. Yes, especially in the first game though cuz we're going to be we're going to be hungry after a game like that, especially a rivalry game with K-State. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's a double header on Thursday the 19th and uh Friday the 20th. It's going to be in Provo and they do have a tough uh, environment for volleyball people show out up there yeah um BYU hosts Texas Tech uh in a double header uh, tonight and tomorrow currently BYU's 14 and 3 in their 3 and 2 in conference play I would expect them to beat Texas Tech twice probably in sweeps just Texas Tech is not very good nah. not since Kenneth Sauer transferred to Houston oh yeah but BYU they're battle tested they've had a uh, number of ranked matchups. There are 500 in them. Jeez. 3-1 win versus Pitt. Sweep win versus Houston. Sweep win versus Baylor. Um, their losses, they had a 3-1 loss to Washington State, and then they had two 3-1 losses versus Texas. Never forget, we were the ones that beat Texas last year. Didn't we give them their only loss we, of the season? We were their only loss of the season last year, but we did lose a fair bit of experience from that roster. I mean, we lost one of the best players Iowa State's ever had to graduation. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice to have some of that that leadership from Eleanor right about now. But we have what we have, and we're going to have to make it work. And in the next couple years, holy smokes, this is going to be an exciting team to to watch after our young players develop that experience, that seniority. And that's going to be a very, very powerful roster. Mm-hmm. But BYU, they're efficient. 
they have a uh, 273 attack rate while they have only allowed 132 on the year that's going to win you a lot of games and that's exactly what they've done mm-hmm. they're averaging 1.7 aces per set to 1.1 iowa state's been doing something similar so that might negate itself we'll see what ends up happening there but byu has been having nearly two blocks per set for every block they allow per set wow they get up their middles are talented sounds like it their middles are quick oh yeah and yeah but watch out not just for their middles uh their setter is dangerous and she has a lethal setter dump oh yeah 389 attack rate on that setter dump she's averaging i think what what was it like uh, I can't remember how many kills it was per set. It was a shocking number of kills per set for a setter. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then their outside hitter, Aaron Livingston, was attacking at 260, which doesn't initially look all that impressive. But she also has four kills per set, which tells you they trust her. Oh, yeah. They go to her a lot. Yeah, especially going four kills per, just per set. They they trust her more than anybody else on that team. That's big numbers. Yeah. So, yeah, look for BYU to go to her a lot next week. On to pro sports. Vikings-Chiefs on Sunday, last Sunday. Justin Jefferson and Nick Mullins on the IR. That's going to be big for them. That's And the biggest thing you want to look for is the fantasy because both of them were top guys this year in fantasy. People trusted them, but I'm thinking now KJ Osborne and Jordan Addison, they're going to get a lot more. Uh, playing time they're, yeah they're gonna get more opportunities so if uh they're on your league's waiver wire now would be a good time to pick them up but yeah justin jefferson i mean he was the number one overall fantasy pick in most leagues and yeah. now him being on the ir and and i don't they they're saying now it's probably gonna he might be out for a lot longer than what they're thinking he's, because of that injury he's likely out for the remainder of the season it's that's a possibility and that kind of is gonna screw people up with uh fantasy yeah the quarterback, the yardage difference was two, basically two, non-existent. I mean, it's it's non-existent, but it's it's kind of there. Like there's still it's a three yard difference between Cousins and Mahomes, but it's it, it's cre- it's crazy. You're, you're talking about margin of error and how the zebras spot the ball. Well, right, yeah. So that's essentially the same. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, uh, definite number one tailback for Kansas City now. I think they're done with committee ball back there. They've got their guy. Pacheco's taken a step up this year, and he's been quite effective. Oh, yeah. He had 16 carries for 55 yards and a tutty. He led the team in number of carries and number 55 uh, – sorry, and number of yards. Yeah, he had 55 yards. Yeah. But the interesting stat line in the rushing department for Kansas City was that Patrick Mahomes actually did not rush the ball even once. And that is crazy that he's just resorting now to just passing, like – I does Andy? Do you think Andy Reid just like has just doesn't have faith in Mahomes rushing, or is are the receivers getting open enough to where he doesn't even need to rush, or is there good blocking to where he can stand enough time in the back of the pocket and wait there and to get an opening? I, I think it's a pass rush protection thing. It probably sounds it sounds because like it. if I remember correctly, I don't think that the Vikings sacked him in that game, or maybe they only did once. I don't have a, I don't have a sack statistic in front of me, but Neither do I. I don't think that they had a sack on Mahomes in that game. So even when he's rolling out, he's getting that ball out. Mm-hmm. 
That's 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 crazy to think about with Mahomes not rushing once. Yeah, that's something that is just you've never seen it before. You don't see that with quarterbacks most of the time because of the uh, blocking from the offense. They have to rush the ball either that or like the defense just plays great to where they block the receivers enough to the, where the quarterback needs to rush. Well, it's also something that Mahomes is just good at is moving with the ball. He's very mobile. Well, yeah, but he's also pinpoint accurate with his arm, so he doesn't necessarily have to use that mobility if he doesn't want to. Right. The biggest thing now we want to look at, Vikings are 1-4 and four in the season. What changes do you think need to be made? Probably a better playing surface at U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah. I don't know. After the uh, Travis Kelsey non-contact low ankle sprain. Aside from that, the Vikings are their season is starting to look like it might end up being a trash heap until unless they can turn things around the way the Bengals did a couple years ago. Yeah. But that would require some very fortunate steps up from certain players, especially without Justin Jefferson being active now. Um, they would likely need TJ Hawkinson and Jordan Addison to take get. massive, massive steps up. They have got and to make those steps. And they would need the uh, very, very large step up from the defense. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, regarding that artificial turf, that game with the Travis Kelsey injury, it led to increased calls by the NFL Players Association again. And Jason Kelsey um, on uh, him and Travis's podcast. But U.S. Bank Stadium's turf, is a sl- it's a slit film turf, which is the ones that the players love to rail against um, as not being safe. And it is widely regarded as among the worst, if not the worst, in the league. Uh, for player safety, is the turf at U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah. And that's something that is going to be looked at. I know the monofilament turf that a lot of players are looking a little bit more favorably on than the slit film turf is something that they might look at because U.S. Bank Stadium is an indoor stadium, so natural grass is not exactly a viable solution there. Right. But... There's been calls against that as well after Rodgers tore his Achilles on monofilament turf in week one. Right. Besides that, uh, Kirk Cousins' trade rumors. I that so I read an article somewhere that there is a possibility that there was talks at the beginning of the season after Aaron Rodgers had his injury that the Jets were looking for possible solutions. And one of them was they contacted the Vikings about a possibility trade with Kirk Cousins. Which would make sense because it's not like Kirk Cousins isn't talented. He is. Um, But he hasn't exactly had a ton of weapons around him. Or when he has and he's been able to use those weapons, the defense bails the other team out. Yeah. But, yeah, the Jets certainly would be interested after Rodgers' injury and – well, Zach Wilson is Zach Wilson. We know that. Um, so with Zach Wilson being under center for the Jets right now, uh, you could make a case that Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard are currently having their talent be wasted at the wideout spot and that Brees Hall is the only active weapon on that team. Yeah, right. their uh, receivers are disabled with Zach Wilson being their quarterback. It's not effective your receiver can't catch the ball if the ball doesn't go to them that's Uh, that's pretty true yeah 
And right now the Vikings are set to be sellers at the trade deadline. So that very well could be a possibility. It could, wanna, it could be. I want to look at the uh, Vikings next coming game here against the Chicago Bears. The Bears coming off their first win of the season. How crazy is that? First win of the season. And of, out of all days, the same day that Dick Butkus dies. Yeah. They were not going to lose that game. But not only is this the first one of the season, this is their first win since Elon Musk bought Twitter. So, yeah, legit. Elon Musk. Like, it's been a while. How, like, I There was a meme that I saw once. It was like, how many of you have won a game since Elon Musk bought Twitter? And it's like this like whole bubble of like every single sports team. And then just off the side, it's, just the, it's, the, it's the Bears. Yeah. You know who was the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers the last time Chicago won a game? Who? Trey Lance. Oh, my God. <laughs> that just kind of shows you what has been going through the freaking mind of the Bears. Like, they have, like, we need to get a damn win bad. Yeah, they uh, they were in a tough spot there. Khalil Herbert had a high ankle sprain. He was their leading rusher. Yeah, once again, that's going to do a little bit for fantasy. People who had him, that's gonna, it's yeah. going to be a hit. Chicago's got an injury bug right now. Johnson's got a concussion. Holmes got a hamstring injury. We'll see how long it is before they can come back. That uh, probably the hams hamstring's probably going to be a good amount of time. Concuss- hamstring can take some time, but concussion protocol can end up being nothing at all. Oh yeah, and have can- them be back the next week. We don't really know. But like when you got the high ankle sprain, like Herbert, it's like right. I haven't long? seen the I haven't seen the Friday injury report yet. So yeah, um, that will be a little bit more telling. But until that point... We'll talk about DJ Moore a little bit. Yeah, DJ Moore is definitely likely to be taking on a more significant role for Chicago. He had a great game against Washington uh, last week on, uh, was it Thursday Night Football? And with the Chase Claypool trade, right? he's not going to be on the field. I mean, he wasn't doing anything on the field anyway, except kind of meandering aimlessly. Mm-hmm. But Claypool, he was a first-round draft pick for Chicago, and now he got traded for a sixth round pick from the Dolphins so if you want to talk about drafting first rounders and then having them become absolute nothing you're looking at Chase Claypool and Trey Lance (laughs) yeah (laughs) right I I feel for these teams yeah yeah but at the same time, I don't because the 49ers realized that Brock Purdy's a superstar out of it. Right. So, so and then Deontay, uh, Deontay Foreman, I see him probably being the next big player for the Bears. He's gonna have to. He's gonna step up, and I think he's gonna he's gonna be that kind of guy who's gonna make that play to step up. It'll be interesting to see the way things go with the roster changes that they're going to be dealing with over the course of the next few weeks because team chemistry changes and that makes a big difference right and then when you look at the vikings again you look at kirk cousins he's the top qb right now in touchdown passes yet why is that not showing up on the win column (laughs) you know what's hilarious kirk cousins has more touchdown passes than the university of iowa has total touchdowns on the entire year and note the University of Iowa is a college team they've been playing for another week. Yeah, literally. Brian Ferentz don't expect to get that contract extension at the end of the year. So I guarantee you he is because no, Kirk, Kirk is literally going to be like, 
No, the, because the details of the current contract, in order to get an extension, he has to hit that 325 mark. And you don't think he will? No, he's way behind pace. Wow, that's that's crazy. Packers Raiders Monday Night Football recap. Most one of the record-setting viewerships for Monday Night Football at like 18 million. Uh, and that doesn't include streaming. So if you're watching that over the ESPN app or something like that, those numbers are not included. Right, right, right. Um, now, if we're looking at, I don't know if that's all time or if that's season numbers, but the season games this year have just kind of sucked. Oh yeah, Bills Jets was one of the better ones. And then they had We've that. Had, and we and here's the rest of them. We've had Saints, Panthers, Steelers, Browns, Eagles, Bucks. That one wasn't awful. Nah, um, Rams, Bengals, decent. Seahawks, Giants, and Packers, Raiders. I've worked most Monday nights, and I, I'm not missing much. Yeah, you are not missing any. Remember, I'm, I'm, I, I find it hilarious around that stint of when they showed two games for Monday Night Football. I found that hilarious because it's like, hey, you get an extra dosage of boring football. Yeah. No, it's uh, – I mean, I guess if they're going to overlap the boring games, though, it makes it easier to watch the more exciting ones on Sundays. So. Oh, absolutely. So Aaron Jones, like – He's he's out now, so what is that going to mean for the pa- uh, Packers? It means that a roster that was already lacking in talent is more lacking in talent. Pretty much. Because Green Bay is just, they're not good. Ever since that, ever since they got rid of freaking, well, even even when they had Rodgers, they weren't doing anything. They weren't doing anything with him because they weren't building a program around him, and now they don't have him, and they still don't have a program to build around anybody. And they don't have Alan Lazard either anymore. No. They are completely lacking in terms of weapons to use on offense. Yeah. The Raiders. And their defense is okay at yeah, best. But they aren't showing out as much. It's nothing to write home about. No. Um, and the Raiders, f- freaking 36 years of losing to the Packers. They don't play each other all that often, though. Even still, 36 years? That's... That's crazy. They hadn't won since back in the freaking eighties. Like, has it been? It's been that long since they've been good, though. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. They haven't. The Packers uh, have been historically a lot better, so I guess it makes sense. You think they're not playing each other all that often because they're uh, uh, opposite conference. So. Yeah. Then speaking of the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, clutch touchdown in the fourth quarter. Indeed. And then uh, Robert Spillane had two interceptions. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Chiefs-Broncos. They played last night on Thursday Night Football. Travis Kelsey did play with that low ankle sprain that he sustained again in the Minnesota game. Um, and he remained uh, he remained Patrick Mahomes' top target. He had nine catches for 124 yards. Dude, dude actually had a fantastic night for being injured. To the delight of Taylor Swift, might I add. No one cares. <laughs> right. <laughs> If there's any Swifties listening to this podcast, I'm not sorry. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's so funny, too, because, like, we were talking about this today. Um, the NFL, like, after any play that the Chiefs do, immediate jump cut to Taylor Swift, just sitting in the in the skybox. Yeah, that was, a, that was a thing during Sunday Night Football the other the other week. Isaiah Pacheco gets a touchdown, and as soon as he starts his touchdown dance, they immediately pan the camera over to Taylor Swift. Yeah. And we're just like, any real football fan does not care 
what Taylor Swift thinks about football. Yeah. All we know is that relationship's not going to last long, and once she breaks up, there's a whole album coming out about football. And me and a couple of my buddies have a deal that when that breaks off, we're buying Travis Kelsey jerseys, and when that breakup happens, it will officially make Travis Kelsey the greatest tight end in football. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Literally. Mahomes, though, 306 yards passing, which it sounds like a recipe for success, huh? Yeah, that's – you're not going to lose very often when you do that. No. And he was distributing the ball, too. Nine different receivers had at least one catch. And that's difficult to defend when you have to divert a lot of attention to Travis Kelsey. Again, he had nine catches on the day. But when Mahomes can go to anybody else, too, mm-hmm. at will – you're going to struggle to defend that. And the Broncos are lucky that they didn't allow more points. Not even scoring till the fourth quarter. Yeah. Denver's offense continued to sputter. They only had 197 total yards, which means Mahomes individually beat the entire Denver offense. <laughs> yeah. And the time of possession was a real tale of it, too. Denver only had the ball for 24 minutes and 11 seconds which means Kansas City had the ball for over 10 minutes longer than Denver did. Wow. And when you have no clock control, you lose. Well, yeah. Because you can't manage time. Time management is one of the biggest aspects of winning football games. It's incredibly overlooked. But you look at those time of possession numbers, and a lot of times the winning team is the one that had a dominant time of possession. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're controlling the ball. Right. There, now, there are some improvements, though, I feel like I can make for Kansas City. Yes. Like, yeah, Kansas City's got some improvements they needed to make. That's the reason they didn't crack the 20-point mark, let alone the 30-point mark, the way Mahomes was playing. Biggest thing, just penalties, seven penalties for seven for 84. That's, 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 that's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's shooting yourself in the foot right there. <laughs> Literally. And they need to hold on to the ball on special teams because – all of their fumbles were on punt returns. Every single one of them. Now, granted, they were all recovered by Kansas City anyway, but that's something that you need to start paying a little bit of attention to is ball security. Right. Because if you're giving up ball security on special teams, what you're essentially doing is giving the other team a 40-yard gain, and that's not something you want to be doing. No, definitely not. Um, and then they need to stop letting drive stall late again. This is a penalties thing. Harrison Butker had four field goals, which means that Kansas City's offense was not finishing drives, and they need to find ways to turn three points into six. Hey, I mean, that's pretty good, though, for anybody who had Harrison Butker for their fantasy. You mean me. <laughs> I mean, The only yeah, problem I, with that is I also had Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> oh. So I was getting one or the other. Yeah. But – it ended up panning out. I got almost 60 fantasy points on the night between those two and the KC defense. <laughs> the Kansas City defense was a great pickup off of the waiver wire after the first couple weeks. Yeah, not bad for them. Not bad at all. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, let's go to the NHL real quick. In the Minnesota Wild, they are 1-0-0 to start the year. It's big. Well, the biggest thing we want to talk, uh, to talk about is their goalie, who for some reason didn't play, Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, his contract is starting to come to an end. Um, could that be a possibility to leave Minnesota or stay? Because I've read interviews where he said, I'm not going anywhere. But Does he have a no-trade clause in his contract? 
that I don't know. I would assume he probably he might, but it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at the details of his contract, so I don't know whether or not there's no trade clause in there or not. But a lot of that had to, a lot of that has to do with how your team is doing as you approach the trade deadline, whether or not you're going to be buyers or sellers. Right. Yeah. Um, in their game against the Panthers, the Wild won the game the way they win games, and they just won it with smothering defense. That's the biggest thing that I see when I watch the Wild play is they have incredible defense. Like, they know how to protect the puck in their end. But their offense leaves something to be desired. Yeah. They're not getting shots on goal. They had uh, 21 shots on goal, and they allowed 41 shots on goal. And, yeah, you have to have a really good defense, really good goaltending to still win that game. And their offense is going to have to increase because 21 shots on goal across entire games will not win you very often. Um, and if you need proof for that, ask the Anaheim Ducks from last year. <laughs> yeah. That was a very rough year for Anaheim fans. It was. And I don't think it's, it's – it hasn't been that good for Anaheim, like, since hell back, like – Not since oh. Randy Carlisle's last couple of years as coach. Yeah. And then they had the – then we had the Dallas Eakins era. Oh, yeah. And Dallas Eakins was a coach that a lot of Ducks fans, myself included, were ready to see go bye-bye. There was a lot, even in the 2015 year, when they uh, went up against the Blackhawks in the uh, West. I think it was the West. It might have been the Western Conference Finals. I they, believe it was. Yeah, they were they were pretty good around that year, but still couldn't top the Blackhawks. Still under out. Randy Carlisle. Yeah, they were at that time. I forgot about that. Most successful coach they've had, and they shouldn't have fired him, in my opinion. But nah. they'll have to figure something else out now. Yep, biggest thing upcoming for upcoming the coming for the Wild. Uh, they got the Maple Leafs, the Canadians, and the Kings. Maple Leafs signed Matthews, uh, just uh, four year, thirteen point two five million contract. I think it's a good or bad move. I think it's good. I don't know what else you're going to expect out of Toronto when you're trying to sign star power. You stick with what you got. Yeah, and Matthews is a great player. See, I think, I think, in my opinion. I think Matthews could have gotten better. A, f- a 13.25 million for 4 years. Like you think about think about like an an NBA player who signs for that much. How much do you think that they would make for a 4-year contract to stay with the team? It'd be significantly more, but a lot of it has to do with what you're aiming for too cuz we've been seeing this trend in the NFL too of players uh with the exception of quarterbacks and Chris Jones uh where players are taking contracts that are not necessarily as large as they otherwise would be and we've been seeing this in major league baseball as well um, in order to try to build more team-friendly contract environments because their goal is not necessarily to make another million dollars every year for the next six years because they're already making a crap ton of money as it is Mm -hmm. but they want that ring Oh yeah, that ring is so much more valuable to them in their in their minds because of the sentiment that comes with it, and that's what they're that's what they really are after, and so I think that that's a large part of what's going through Matthew's head here is now that the Maple Leafs are in a place where they're finally stepping up in the playoffs, is this is this their chance to make that jump now with the team friendly contract? Yeah, but as we know from past experience, Maple Leafs just can never get the job done, no matter who they have on their team. Time and place comes. Yeah. So. 
we'll see if they can finally break it through. Long streaks happen, and uh, long streaks come to an end. Yep. We saw that with the Minnesota Twins in the wild card series, so. Yep, playing the Canadians after that. Uh, and then they played against the Maple Leafs in the first game, uh, had a 5-3 lead, and then Matthews showed up, and they lost 6-5 to in a shootout. That sounds about right. Newhook, Alex Newhook, though, uh, he's the guy to watch, I feel like. Two goals in the first game. He's got, um, you know, it's, it, that's the thing that we talked about with the NH- in the NHL is, like, it's so early now to figure out who's going to be the top prospect for each team. But in my opinion, I think Alex Newhook is going to be the one. He's going to he, – he he could fly on the ice. He's got the speed and everything. So I feel like he's going to be the good one. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what ends up panning out there. Uh, we'll have to come up with some just absolutely wild take here one to two games into the season, you know, who, who we think is going to win the President's Trophy or something like that. Right. Hell, we all thought the Bruins might have actually gone the way last year, but then they got – blown out by the, the president's Panthers. the president's trophy is a curse oh it, it's even more of a curse than the freaking conference final when you touch it yeah and then the kings yes their first full year without jonathan quick assuming he isn't brought back via a trade or picked up on a waiver it's interesting too because he's talked about in the past he's like i always thought i'd just retire as a king which i feel like he even though was like i thought i'm just gonna stay with los angeles for the my entire career you never know but another guy for the Kings, Alex Laferriere. He was the Des Moines Buccaneer alum. He's probably going to be the top prospect. Did you see that fight that he was in? No, I didn't. Oh, my. He, like, took the guy, like, in a headlock and just threw him over. And then it cuts to his family that's in the stands. They are, like, it looked like when, Ro- when like, the knockout fight and you see Rogan just, like, putting his arms out, like, oh, my God. It's like his whole family was going insane. And for his first NHL game and first fight, kid's got a lot of, like, he's got a lot of, like, a promising career. And recording 95 uh, total points with the Bucs, um, I see that continuing. But yeah. keep in mind, the Bucks was also, like, a little bit, is a lot less than what he's, like, going to deal with in the NHL. But Right, it's a whole different brand of competition, but... The USHL is the best junior league in hockey. So yeah, and I feel like he's got he's got the resources too with him on the team that I feel like if he gets if he gets to like that point of you know he can he's comfortable with these guys they could probably do something. Like, yeah, I feel like he's gonna be like another Austin Matthews coming in as a prospect and he's gonna he's gonna show the NHL what like he can do. Speaking of guys who can show the NHL what they can do. Connor Bedard scored his first official point in the NHL career against for the Blackhawks against the Penguins on Tuesday, which was opening night. Even though it was an assist, it's still a point. He's so far he's doing he's doing it well. Uh, and Crosby too, man, adding another goal. He's at 551 goals now, which is more than I can count. Yeah, by about and he's 551. Been, he's been in but, the NHL for what like a good like. Like 15 years Again, at this longer point? than I can count. Yeah, literally. He's been in the NHL so long. He's, he's been in the NHL goals. way longer than I've been intently watching the NHL. Yeah. Um, Peter Morazic, though, coming up a strong 38 for 40 on shots against the Penguins. Uh, it's good. Got to work on it, though, a little bit, I feel like. Yeah, you're, you're allowing one out of 20 through. That's, that's a pretty good rate. Yeah, but the Penguins just... 
it's it's, it's hard to expect better than that. I mean, yeah, and but hey, the Penguins keep adding losses. Uh, they are now twelve losses when leading by the third period since the 2022-2023 season. So yeah, across years, that's continues to be a trend that uh, Pittsburgh's going to need to address. Definitely. Um, and then outside of the Winter Classic games, the opening game, the opening night game between the Blackhawks and the Penguins had 1.43 million viewers, which is the largest audience for a regular season game. And that's all thanks to Connor Bedard. That is entirely thanks to Connor Bedard. And basically nobody else because the Blackhawks had to gut their roster, basically. <laughs> now, if it had been like Taves, Kane, Bedard, like all those like big name players that it's if they had stuck with the Hawks, they could have easily gotten a shit ton more viewers, in my opinion. It's it's certainly possible. Um, and then they played the Bruins. Uh, they had a one to three loss, but Bedard did get his first goal of the season. Did you see also the uh little like thing that like thing that came up after he had scored? It showed Wayne Gretzky his total number of goals, and at the bottom showed Connor Bedard one. So, <laughs> no, literally, it was like the biggest meme of the. T- it was like the biggest meme of like social media for a while. It's like images that preceded unfortunate events. Just Wayne Gretzky, like eight hundred and seventy three goals. Connor Bedard one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good though, especially after in uh, some international competitions, some international junior competitions. Bedard shattered a lot of Gretzky's old records. He did. So we'll see what ends up happening. I'm kind of curious to see what um, ends up happening with Bedard and how long it takes him to really become an established force in uh, in in the NHL. Whether he immediately turns team around the way Connor McDavid did for the Oilers, yeah, or like or, Nathan McKinnon, or whether it's a longer rebuild and he needs a little bit more talent around him to facilitate. And also, his in he. A, for a second there during the game, I thought he was going to get injured. He had right. he had that's, fell and hit his that's elbow. That's the other thing is right now the Blackhawks have all their eggs in one basket on Bedard. So if he does get injured, the Blackhawks season is basically over. <laughs> basically, yeah. So they need to they need to protect him. Martian's not doing any good yep. by like pretty much hitting him in the back of the head most of the time. Which I could go on for an hour about how much I f- hate Marshan, but I'm going to keep it to just Marshan's just the biggest piece of s in hockey. Yeah. All right, upcoming for the Blackhawks, they've got the Canadians and the Maple Leafs, which we've already talked about, and then they'll have the Avalanche also within the next week. The Avs just had a 5-2 win over the Kings, and, I mean, McKinnon and uh, Rantanen just could not be stopped. McKinnon and Rantanen, like, they are just, they are, in my opinion, one of the biggest duos. My brother thinks it's going to be McDavid and Dreisaitl, but I think if it, okay, if it were McDavid and Dreisaitl, they would have had a cup by now, but they haven't. McKinnon and Rantanen know how to work well together, and no, they know how to get the goals, and they know how to work their team well. So I feel like they will be the guys to watch this year. If McDavid and Dreisaitl do get a Stanley Cup together, it will be because Edmonton is a buyer at the trade deadline. They pick up somebody else yep. that's at the end of a contract, and they get him just for the remainder of that year. It's not going to be someone who's another superstar, but it's going to be someone who enhances the defense a little bit or something like that because Edmonton's got the offense with uh, Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid. Mm -hmm. All right. And the St. Louis Blues, 
went into a shootout with the Dallas Stars, and they lost the shootout. So they're 0-0-1 on the start of the year. Matt Deshane was hired as a coach for the Blues to work on their defense, and they allowed 34 shots on the goal. So the defense isn't completely flipped yet, uh, but it is improving, and it was perfect on the penalty kill. Yeah, really was. They did get it to a shootout. It was one to one going into the shootout. Um, they had traded goals. I, I want to say they were both in the second period. One of them might have been in the first period. I missed the not, game, so I didn't. I didn't really know who. Right. I it, not particularly relevant when that was timed out because it was one one at the uh, final buzzer. Anyway, biggest thing Blues have to do is just you have to get more shots on goal. Twenty four. Yeah. Too small. It's the same problem that the Wild had. Only oh. the Wild actually have a better defense. Oh yeah. Like I just we've seen the Blues kind of go from being like that top team and like slowly over the years they've hit the decline most of the time. I mean they've they've done pretty well though in the playoffs, but they just can't. Some of stick that's to because it. of contracts and cap. Yeah, that's true. Upcoming they've got the Seattle Kraken, who just had an impressive playoff run. Whether or not they keep that momentum. I have, I have to think. Out. I have to think that they might. I mean, last year they beat the defending Stanley Cup champs to knock them out of the playoffs. So I think they have that momentum going for them, but they just need to keep at it with the the defense. The biggest thing that NHL like you need to look at for hockey is just defense, because right. that's going to protect them from the goals. Right, defense is going to be more consistent than offense night in night out. But you do have to have offense and mm-hmm. scoring twenty four goal or not sorry not scoring 24 goals having 24 shots on goal is just going to be too low consistently again ask the wild that's why they have struggles advancing in the playoff yep ask the anaheim ducks that's why they can't win a game <laughs> yeah um, and then the coyotes eh, we don't we, we don't need to talk about them nothing's changed since they're not they've... even gonna have the mullet arena atmosphere on their side regardless of what you think of the mullet arena atmosphere because they're losing you know because the Coyotes are losing their main arena, and they don't have plans yet for their new location, and they're not going to be using what is it? what's the one that the Suns use? Chase Arena is that what it's called? I think that is what it is. I think it might be that. But yeah, that arena is basketball specific. They've played hockey in there before, but it's not a good fit. Mullet Arena is their uh, Arizona State's hockey arena. It's very Which, low capacity. You know how bad your team is when you have to share an arena with a college team. Yeah. You just know like how bad like you have it. Even in Columbus, they don't do that. With Ohio State, they have their own. Uh, Ohio State uses their basketball arena for hockey, and it's actually quite large. Mm. I think it's larger than the Blue Jackets arena, actually. But it it works. For both. Yeah. They both have fairly large arenas. Now, Ohio State's not filling that up for hockey. They're filling it up for basketball on good years. But the point still remains. And on to Major League Baseball quickly. The season is now officially over for my beloved Minnesota Twins. I'm so sad about this. The ALDS did not go well for them. Games 1 and 2 were split in Houston, which means you entered the next phase of it with home field advantage. Right. And they blew both games in Minnesota because the offense did not show up. And that's the biggest thing for a baseball team is if your offense doesn't show, 
You're not, you are never going to win. It doesn't matter how good your pitching is. I mean, in game two, Pablo Lopez was absolutely dominant, but the hitting showed up in that game. Mm-hmm. And Carlos Correa was, I mean, he was clutch Carlos Correa that we're used to seeing in the postseason that we've been used to seeing when he was down in Houston. Right. Game three, I was in Minnesota four in person. Uh, hit after hit after hit for Houston. Walk after walk after walk for Minnesota. And stranded base runners was the story of that entire game, really, for both teams, but especially for Minnesota. In the bottom of the fifth, Christian and Javier, he walked the bases loaded with only one out, and Minnesota stranded all of them. That is terrible. It's really, really bad. And that night, we also learned that the winner of the series would play the Rangers and have the home field advantage in the ALCS. Which, Um, the Rangers are on the unbelievable run and I think they're they're back to early season form, but it's because they're not f- fighting the injury bug anymore. With the exceptions of that being their pitching, they traded for Max Scherzer and then haven't had him. And then Jake Degrom obviously has not been pitching um, because of surgery. Mm-hmm, right. But they have got some insane offensive firepower, and the twins. Well, the twins don't. Um, <laughs> they don't. Alex Kirilov was removed from the ALDS roster prior to Game 4, and Byron Buxton was activated from the IL. Those just because of injuries. Kirilov wasn't playing well anyway, um, with his shoulder being hurt, but it didn't make a difference. Buxton pinch hit, and it, he didn't actually get a hit. It didn't. He didn't get walked. Or, yeah, he didn't get a hit. He didn't get a walk. Nothing on base. It didn't go anywhere. In an effort to keep Jordan Alvarez from predicting pitches, uh, Rocco Baldelli pulled Joe Ryan after only two innings and wanted a different pitcher to be facing Jordan every time. That strategy ended up not working. Even though Jordan did not get a home run in this game, he did still end up scoring off of a Jose Abreu home run. Uh-huh. But the entirety of the Twins' offense in Game 4 was rookies. Yeah, that's it. It was all it was all Royce Lewis and Eddie Julian. Each one of them had a home run. Julian had an additional hit, and each one of those took a walk. That was the entire offense for the Twins uh, in Game Four. That's that is, it. it's wow. You, you when you look at it like that, it's three like, hits, wow, two walks, and all of them were Eddie Julian and Royce Lewis. Only those two. It was only those two. Both of which are rookies, so that kind of shows that the like amateurs that they have or like the like main guys that they, they don't show up. The Twins' prospects have been amazing, though. I mean, we we just saw one of their farm the one of their farm teams, the local Cedar Rapids Colonels. They just won the Midwest League, right? And uh, Kalai Rosario was the Midwest League MVP. Yeah, so they've got prospects, they've got youth, and that's hope for the Minnesota Twins right now. Um, and I can't wait to see Kalai Rosario advancing up the leagues until he gets into uh, Major League Ball. So based on what happened in the postseason, did you still think that they had a good season overall, even if they put, even if the postseason didn't end the way you wanted to? Oh, yeah, they absolutely had a good season. I mean, Twins Nation went absolutely nuts during the wild card series because not only did we end the postseason drought that – uh, had started 
depending on how you want to look at it, because we ended two postseason droughts. The first one was the postseason win drought that had been going since game one of the 2004 ALDS against the New York Yankees when Johan Santana pitched a win for the Twins to Joe Maurer. And I actually thought in uh, game three, they did the ceremonial first pitch, mm-hmm. and it was Johan Santana to Joe Maurer. And Johan Santana was wearing a Pablo Lopez jersey, which was really cool because in game one of the wild card, so you know how players usually wear something fancy when they enter the stadium? Yeah. Pablo Lopez said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wear a Johan Santana jersey. (laughs) And so that was kind of symbolic, and I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. And it was nice to have uh, Santana and Maurer back, you know, in the same stadium at the same time. Twins legends. We love them in in Twins country. And then, of course, uh, in the wild card, the postseason series drought was finally ended when we defeated the Blue Jays in game two and advanced to the ALDS. That was a streak that went all the way back to 2002 when the Twins beat the Moneyball A's to advance to the ALCS. The Moneyball A's? The Moneyball A's. Wow. That was, I feel like, wasn't that the team? Mm-hmm. That was the one that they made the movie about. Oh, boy. They beat that team? Mm-hmm. That was their last postseason series win before beating Toronto in the wild card. Man, I was last two week. at the time. That's crazy to think about. I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> That's how crazy that was. It's so weird when you think about all those teams who have like who haven't won a game or like a series since like this year and you're like I wasn't even born yet. Like it's like a bunch of shit didn't even happen. Like it didn't even happen when they had won. Like yeah. it it kind of shows you then like because I saw a tweet or like a tweet today, yeah, it was um when was the la- like the last time that the Broncos beat the Chiefs like Tom Holland wasn't even Spider-Man yet. Like and that's not like, even that long. Well, I mean, it, it, he when would he become Spider Man? Like twenty twenty sixteen was when Captain America: Civil War came out. Yeah, so like, it's been all it's seven years, but they're pushing to like ten. That's insane. Yeah, and to think twenty one years that it took Minnesota to win a postseason series again. But I was saying that uh, as I was saying that it was going to happen as soon as the Yankees were eliminated from postseason contention because they've been the uh, they've been the Achilles heel for the Minnesota Twins so many times. Earlier in the regular season, the Twins beat the Yankees in the regular season series for the first time since two thousand one. Dang! So it's been a great year for the Minnesota Twins, ending a lot of old droughts and healing old wounds and with uh, some dynamic rookies on the roster. Well, they're not going to be rookies anymore. But with some dynamic youth on the roster, it's uh, there's there's reasons to be optimistic in the coming years. It's better than whatever my team, the Cubs, ever did. Yeah, I had one good year and then traded all your talent away. Literally. Like, all right. Well, that makes it for the show today. Follow us on Twitter or X or whatever you call it now. I'm still going to keep calling it Twitter because that's what it is. X makes it feel inappropriate somehow. You can find Vinny at what's your Twitter? My Twitter is going to be Venacious D. So think about the band Tenacious D. It's just V I N A C I O U S and then D and then just 23, which is my age.
Find me at the Menson Minute. It's easy to find on Twitter. I'm kind of a loud mouth on Twitter when I'm actually talking on Twitter. Other than that, I like I just go through spurts of being quiet and then being nuts. But uh, that's today's show. This has been Vinny Cataldo. I'm Matt Menson, and this has been the Cornfield Sports Pod.